and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com my name is abhishek and this cover story is about a company which has been growing at a stupefying pace over the past 2 years venture capitalists have poured in millions of dollars and not too long ago it was valued somewhere between 750 million to a billion dollars easily one of the hottest internet properties from india and for the ones who haven't guessed it yet i'm of course talking about flipkart and forbes india has put flipkart on its cover and not exactly for these reasons joining me to talk about it from bangalore is the senior assistant editor rohan dharmakumar hi rohan hi abhishek good evening great to be back thank you and what's the story about it's not about quote unquote success story of uh, flipkart for sure so tell us what's it about without taking away from flipkart's very clear success over the last 5 years since it started out this story is a different story we look at the time period i think over the last 2 to 2 and a half years in the company where the company has made some missteps it's changed its direction it's made some calls which appear questionable to us and we've kind of gone ahead and kind of gone into depth into some of these questions so in this case we went out and between me and my two colleagues shishir prasad and praveen palande we had nearly 3 dozen conversations with a bunch of different people lots within flipkart many outside flipkart ex employees investors people from the industry competitors to put together the story and what our reporting led us to believe is flipkart's issues around two three areas one i think which comes out very strongly is the way the company is struggling to adapt or to adopt its people culture with its own pace of growth right flipkart started in 2007 the first time they drew funding was 2009 even till i would guess early last year it wasn't such a breakout star that today is clearly the company had to kind of work hard to attract employees quality employees to work for itself and there what we've seen is that the bunsels kind of relied on their old networks from iit delhi to bring on board a certain set of people to help scale the company now some of those were obviously great calls but what also happened in that process is a close network of people who knew each other back from college got introduced within the company to the extent it's this network started stimming outside hires who flipkart started bringing on board in 2010 and what happened is many of these people who came on board at senior levels ended up quitting within a few months to maybe at best a year there were two sets of strategies one between this very close group and one between a larger group as you read the story you know you will see with examples like examples that we worked very hard to validate and to verify you will see how that was a very big issue and still continues to be a very big issue you'll hear that in whispers or conversations when you talk to ex flipkart employees or even current flipkart employees when you ask them what kind of a place is flipkart to work so how was it what was the answer so the answer is well it's great it's growing there's a freedom to try out new stuff but from a certain set of people when you ask them you will understand that hang on you know what i may not have always had the ability to kind of push back with my own opinion or when i made some mistakes which were taken very critically but the same set of mistakes when they were made by someone else was closer to this charm group i think they were viewed very differently you you spoke about strategy uh, just about a minute back and l- let's start with that now in in e-commerce we have 
are two very established business models where you either stock and sell or do something like let's say an india plaza does where if you as a customer if you book an order for a book online then an algorithm would place an order with a vendor which is close to your house and that vendor will dispatch the book directly to your place in flipkart's case it might happen within just 24 hours in other companies it might take slightly longer but isn't flipkart treading a dangerous line by you know going the whole hog by having all stock with them risking too much dead inventory in in the quest to delight the customer in terms of business model or strategy what does your reporting tell you how sustainable is their way of doing business you're right in terms of business model india plaza and flipkart are probably at the opposite ends of the spectrum in india today flipkart took the call very early on when they started that they would constantly focus on being the company that delights customers the most a person who we spoke to said look it was easier to fire an employee within flipkart than it was to cancel a customer order that's how fanatical they were about customers right right and in fact on twitter and on facebook uh, they have a pretty uh, decent feedback role going along so people do speak highly about flipkart yeah they are i mean they do a great job at customer service no taking away from them at all and uh, as i said the first you know what they were inspired from the business was amazon and amazon clearly has a preference for doing an inventory driven delivery right i mean amazon famously chooses to have its own inventory flipkart when it started out before its funding days obviously did not have the money to do everything from inventory so it mostly would go out and buy books after receiving orders gradually as it started receiving venture money it started investing more and more in its warehouses and its inventory holding capacity increasing it increasing the number of orders that it can fulfill from its own inventory to the extent that today i suspect probably 80% or possibly more comes out of their own inventory india plaza as you know is the other extreme that's a very conscious decision that kvt swaran the ceo of india plaza has made i mean he's a guy who's been there done that failed caught up again taken a knock caught up again still is around right so he started his business what 30 years back probably the first in in the country yes that's right you know they say that inventory slow poison to any retail business because you must hold at least a month or two of inventory in most cases holding that inventory blocks up your cash flow and once you own inventory you're not quite sure at what rate it will sell often in categories like mobile phones which are very fickle or electronics you'll realize that trends change overnight and you're left saddled with inventory that is now worth what maybe a tenth of what you paid for just a month back so it's a tricky situation so if you look at books now for instance right where flipkart has gradually started raising prices over the last 2 to 3 months i've heard a lot of instances of people starting to switch their purchases from flipkart to flipkart's competitors including for instance india plaza where books still happen to be cheaper what does that mean flipkart's hypothesis is that we will focus so much on customer loyalty we will outspend all our competitors so much on customer loyalty that it doesn't matter if you're not the cheapest the customer will still come to understand you right and flipkart now they are into many product categories product lines and there is a mention of flipkart logistics in your uh, in your article where you say that it is the tail that wags the dog can you can you tell us a little bit more on on flipkart logistics sure so flipkart logistics essentially is the company's cell phone arm that does its own 
last mile delivery. So essentially, it's like a courier company owned by Flipkart itself. Now, if you take just the people who do courier deliveries, about 1,300 to 1,500 people work within Flipkart doing that. When they started Flipkart Logistics, and, and this is revealed from our conversation with people who were in Flipkart around that time as well, the thinking quite clearly was to start this, to bring down its own costs, to not work with unreliable third-party logistics providers or courier companies in India, and over a period of time, turn this into an independent platform that can be offered to even competing e-commerce players. We've seen that happen even in China and in Russia where leading e-commerce players have started their own logistics arms like this and have, over a period of time, started offering the services of those to third-party players. Flipkart denies that this was ever a consideration, but, you know, our reporting reveals it to be otherwise. I think within maybe a year or maybe thereabouts, we might see the beginnings of Flipkart offers own services of Flipkart logistics to anyone who can pay for it. That's completely a different line of business as we, we know it as consumers of, of Flipkart. Given the situation, Rowan, a considerable chunk of your article also talks about uh, the investments that is from the VC perspective. Now, we all know that Flipkart has succeeded in raising a few million dollars over the past few years, but they have been rejected by a few VCs. What are the grounds on which a few venture capitalists still believe that there is a bit of a question mark on Flipkart's model. And what are those concerns? You know, when a venture capitalist rejects a company like Flipkart, it's not usually at the fundamental level of questioning their business model, but essentially questioning the valuation at which they would invest into this business model. In Flipkart's case, what has happened is since their first investment in October 2009, we have, and here I think it's Sachin Bansat personally, whose aggression and strategy has kind of made this happen. Flipkart has successively raised round after round of investor funding from its investors, Axel Partners and Tiger Global, at higher and higher valuations, often within just a space of a few months, six months to nine months. The first time when they raised funding, we understand their valuation was about 16 crores. Within just three or four months, that shot up to about 220 crores. Within another six months or nine months, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I have it in my notes. It was about 1,400 crores to about 2,000, 2,200 crores. So coming back to the question of why did some VCs reject investing in Flipkart? So that goes back to late last year when after its last funding from Tiger Global, which brought in about $20 million, Sachin and Vinny realized that, look, the game that they were playing, they'd, they'd need much more funding and not at these volumes. Very few venture funds in India can even afford the numbers that they were looking at, which was about between 150 to $200 million in venture funding. That's out of the league of most venture funds in India. fund that they were talking to most seriously was General Atlantic Partners, which is largely a private equity fund. And in the end, General Atlantic took the call to not invest in Flipkart. Two primary reasons. One, the valuation. We understand the valuation that Flipkart was demanding was between $750 million to $1 billion. Now, you have to realize that when a VC gets in at, let's say, $1 billion, they have to have a way to exit that for at least two, two and a half or three times that in the near future to make good money on that kind of a sum, which would imply that Flipkart list or sell itself at a valuation of anywhere from 2 to $3 billion over the next couple of years. That's a tough call. One reason why General Atlantic, we understand, refused to invest. 
that General Atlantic felt that Flipkart's numbers didn't exactly make complete sense to them. You have to really understand that in e-commerce, the way you account for many things, how do you account for the stocks that you hold on your books? How do you account for returns? How do you account for your marketing spend? How do you account for the discounts that you're giving away on products to win market share? These can make a huge difference to the way your company makes a profit or a loss. So General Atlantic, we understand, wasn't able to quite put its finger around some of Flipkart's numbers. Right. While this was happening, what, what was the rationale, do you think, for Flipkart going ahead and buying a rival, which I think was the the second biggest during the time, which basically when you buy a company, you, you got to shell out a lot of money. And then I read in your article that most of the employees have been laid off uh, in Let's Buy. So what was the rationale in spending money when you needed some more to build your operations? So here again, there are two realities. There is a reality which was given by Flipkart to us, which is, look, we launched our own consumer electronics and mobile category a while back, and we wanted to become the market leaders in that space. So we acquired Let's Buy with the intention of acquiring their volumes. Our combined volumes would give us much more clout with manufacturers. And then there is the other reality, which many people who were within Flipkart or many people who were within Let's Buy attest to, which is that this decision was essentially forced by two common investors, you know, Flipkart investors, Axel Partners and Tiger Global, also happened to be Let's Buy's investors. And what happened with Let's Buy is after raising $6 million, it kind of burned through all of that in 2011, and towards the end it was trying desperately to raise more funds, but all of its existing venture capitalists refused, so did any of the new ones. If you look at Axel and Tiger, quite clearly they did not want two companies funded by them Flipkart and Let's Buy to burn their own money to fight each other on a price war. So might as well lend all that money to one company since it's burning cash anyway. Yes, that's one way to put it. So what happened is I think the investors guided Let's Buy and you know told them that look, your options have run out. I think it's best if you begin a conversation with Sachin and Bini and that's what they did. And that's how the acquisition happened. And and you're right, what happened after that is I think there were about 350, maybe 400 people who worked within Let's Buy at that time. Flipkart ended up acquiring probably less than 50 of those. Unfortunately for what happened is Flipkart wasn't very transparent with those employees right from the beginning. Senior Flipkart senior management insisted in those meetings that look, they were very excited to have that talent, that there were many openings within Flipkart and that they should not look for jobs outside and they kept them dangling and then what happened progressively over a period of two, three, four months was that they didn't move on it. As a result, most people kind of saw the writing on the wall and left on their own. Subsequently, we also learned that they started shutting down the warehouses, etc. So the larger conclusion from that is almost any asset that you would get from a company by acquiring it, when you look at either its infrastructure, which is warehouses, etc., or its people were not acquired by Flipkart in the case of NetSpy. And we find it very hard to believe that a company like Flipkart, which has preferred to grow its own business organically in categories and was doing fairly well in consumer electronics itself, would just acquire a loss-making competitor just to buy market share. It just doesn't make sense to us. Right. So the word synergy that keeps coming up is basically a wheel to another reasoning. No, there was synergy. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. there was synergy for the investors. I mean, as we understand, the investors got back the money that they'd invested in Let's Buy, which they would have had to otherwise write off. And they got equity in Flipkart over and above that. So there was plenty of synergy for the investors. Right. Last couple of questions. One is we are talking about the largest 
e-commerce company at the moment in India and none of the e-commerce players have turned in a profit yet. So where does it leave e-commerce if the, if the biggest company has certain long-term issues with finances, with investments, with people? These are three things that you mentioned in the past few minutes. So where does it leave e-commerce in India if the top player is uh, skating on thin ice? Another phrase that I borrow from your article. Great question, Abhishek. And uh, I think, you know, you're spot on. I mean, there's a saying in Hindi that sabhi eki thali ke chatte vatte hain. And <laughs> that's what it is in e-commerce, right? I mean, quite clearly we've followed venture-funded high-burn growth model in India in e-commerce. And it's not just Flipkart which is guilty of it. Most of its competitors are too. So then the question then you're really asking is, what happens? How long can the, can this sector sustain this behavior? I don't know. I think we're going to see answers very soon, probably within less than 12 to 18 months because the investors aren't going to continue funding these businesses. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, we will start seeing the pressure for exits. In Flipkart's case, you've already seen the focus shifting towards profitable growth from growth. You will see that happening with many more people. Mm-hmm. As customers, we will start seeing many of the discounts disappear. Many of the freebies disappear. Free home delivery become like with Flipkart coming above a certain value and I think mm-hmm. that's all right. So you'll start seeing more and more of Flipkart's competitors fall in line as well. So in a perverse way, it may really come down to the question of who can afford to burn for the longest period of time, right? I mean, Flipkart, even though it's most funded, mm-hmm. to its credit, seems to be coming on faster than some of its smaller competitors who possibly making even larger losses and don't even have so much of venture funding to rely on. True. The kind of advertisements that we see about e-commerce companies on television, number one, for internet companies, advertising on TV was itself a new thing in India recently. And secondly, most of them talk about free home delivery, cash on delivery and uh, free return as in UK. If you don't like the apparel, if it doesn't fit you, we'll take it back. So all of this to the operational burden. But given the situation, uh, the moral of the story is it's a great time to be a customer then in India from these sites. Quite clearly is. I think, you know, even as you said that, I realized there may be some similarities there with Indian telecom as well, where Indian customers have had it great all these years with tariff wars and all that. And we're now slowly starting to see voice tariffs inching back up. So, you know, competitive dynamics change a bit. So will that happen in e-commerce as well? I think it has to happen. This is not sustainable. Maybe a year later, we might have a similar cover. If you recall, we had done a cover story uh, with a grave. I, I don't remember what, what was the headline. Telecoms, as we know it, is dead. Let's hope we don't have that in, in e-commerce. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope not because in, in all our hearts, we wish companies like Flipkart all the best. I hope those guys are around. I hope those guys have a great IPO because them being around means that we get to buy much wider assortment of goods at competitive prices. And I'm sure they will be around. The only thing is which of them will be around and how much more money will they take to become profitable. I don't think the sector is going to go anywhere. Right. I think on on that optimistic note, time to wrap up. Thanks a lot, Rohin, for your time. Thanks, Adana, Vishay. Great speaking to you. And all you listeners, you can listen to this podcast on ForbesIndia.com as well as TheIndicast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and for the copy of Forbes India, message Forbes to 51818 for the subscription.